Happy Easter. What's really fun is that even at Easter, the only thing that changes is I wear a tie. I'm still Reverend Blue Jeans, and I always will be. Thanks, Jeff Carrington. That was him who, Jeff, yeah, the tie's right here. I'll just throw it over, it'll be good. We'll just get to it, right? Jeff titled me Reverend, uh, Reverend Blue Jeans back at the high school when we were portable church, so it's stuck forever. It's the only reverend I'll ever be. Anyway, okay, guys, I want to pray with you, and then we're going to get right into um, uh, a very important Easter message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do, for your care and your love for us. Father, we know that that care and that love reaches beyond just these four walls. We know that that care and that love extends to a world that is dying and a world that is in need. So, Father, if there is anyone here that does not know you or struggles in their understanding of you, I pray, Lord, that their hearts would would perk up, that their ears would open, and that they would hear, that they would humble themselves and trust in the words that are being proclaimed so that they might know your truth. Father, I pray that each and every one of us that is a follower, uh, each and every one of us that does put our trust in your word, in your saving gospel, I ask, Lord, that we would take it serious every day of our life, not in that we never make mistakes, Lord, but uh, in that we trust and we never stop trusting in who you are. Father, apart from you, there is no salvation. Apart from your son, there is no work. Apart from your son, there is no cross. Apart from your son, there is no resurrection, there is no life. But Lord, we trust that, we believe that, we rest in that. We rest in what you have done for us. In Jesus' great name, amen. So, it's an interesting question, but what what makes uh, a piece of news good? Have you ever thought about this? What makes a piece of news good? We call a newspaper a newspaper, right? We don't call a newspaper a good newspaper. Now, if it's a reputable newspaper, or maybe what, and you know what I mean by that, that we trust the source after a while, we might call it good, but that's not exactly what I mean. What I mean is that something within the newspaper may be good, it may be good news to us, but we have to ask the question, when is it good news, or why is it good news? And the answer to that question really is, when it becomes beneficial to us personally. That's when news becomes good news, when it becomes beneficial to each and every one of us. So uh, the same thing is true when it comes to the gospel. That word gospel, in case you don't know this, that word gospel means good news. And so the message which the Apostle Paul calls God's power unto salvation, Romans 1.16, is actually good news precisely because it's beneficial to us. But there's something more about it than that. There's something more important, and I would argue there's something even more necessary for us to understand. The gospel is good news, universally good news, because it is actually beneficial for all people. The gospel is beneficial for all people. Now, I pray that you can see this, but it may be tricky, but please hear the words that I'm saying. If the gospel is not beneficial to all people, hear me, then there is no way we can be sure that it is beneficial to us personally. If the gospel is not beneficial to all mankind, there is no way to have perfect assurance that it is beneficial to you. Why do I say that? Because the Bible doesn't say God so loved Nathan. Uh Uh-oh. 
The Bible says God so loved the world, and what I do by faith is I take that at its word. God at his word, right? He loves me because I'm a part of the world. First, there would never be any actual assurance, which means uh, the uncertain way of living if we don't believe the gospel is for all people. It's actually the antithesis of biblical faith. The Bible defines faith this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's on the screen. The assurance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11.1. But if you can't be sure that the gospel is for you, then you can't live by faith, can you? At best, what you're doing is living by wishful thinking, and most people do that. They're crossing their fingers and going, I really hope I get to heaven, <laughs> right? This, this doesn't work. I hope you know. It just doesn't work, right? So I hope I get to heaven. That's not what happens. Now add to that, whether, uh, whatever is not done in faith, the Bible says, God himself declares whatever is not done in faith is actually sin, Romans 14, 23. So I'm connecting some really important dots here. If the gospel isn't beneficial to all, then each of us lives as if someone gave us a lottery ticket and the only time we're going to find out whether or not we win or lose is when those numbers are revealed in the end. Guess what? This is not good news. This is hopelessness. This is anxiety wrapped in the garb of man-made religion. I don't want to be anxious all my life, do you? So what can you rest in? You can rest in that the gospel is for you. And why can you rest that the gospel is for you? Because the gospel is for all. That is why you can know. So church, I want you to catch this phrase. I'm going to say it a bunch of times. I want you to get it. Unless the gospel is for all, no one can have faith at all. Unless the gospel is for all, no one can have faith at all. The best you can ever muster is, I really, really, really wish this was true of me. You have no true hope. So if the word gospel means good news, what makes it good, right? It's news, but it's good news. What makes it good? Well, as I've stated, it is God's provision for all people. It's God's sovereign choice to be merciful to every single human being that he has created. To offer life in place of death, joy in place of sorrow, peace instead of chaos. And guess what? That is for you, no matter who you are. I love this truth, church. There's a passage in Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 18 that says something very tricky for many people. It says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's actually amazing, because God still is in control. He still is sovereign. But if you take this wrong, okay, some will believe that this means that God will pick and choose who he will save and who he will condemn. But this is effectively the lottery ticket that I just shared. Some win, some don't, and you have no clue what side you're on. You can't know. Now, there are some people who will say, well, of course I can know because I have, the, I have the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. What's amazing about that is that many who advocate this idea are actually claiming special revelation. The Bible didn't say, I saved Ben Bird. But the Bible does say, I've extended grace to all. Special revelation is you saying, I believe I'm saved. I just don't know for sure. But guess what? It's not faith, right? 
So if Romans is interpreted rightly, if it's interpreted in its context, what we actually understand is that God was addressing a mindset among some of the Jewish people where they believed that he would and should only choose them. Did you know that? This is what they wanted. They wanted him to choose only them. They had become upset that God actually did do as Jesus said and go to the Gentiles. He said, fine, you rejected me. I'm going to those guys. Well, he did it, and they were mad about it. But this resistance to God's merciful intent uh, has been very common throughout history. This is the same mindset. I love this story. You guys will all be familiar with it. This is the same mindset that sent Jonah running in rebellion from his mandate to preach the gospel. In the ancient Jewish mind, there were basically two people groups. There were the chosen of God, that was the Jewish people, and they were chosen for a service. And then there were the Gentiles, which means roughly those without God in the world. Okay? That is the understanding of a Gentile. So there are those with God, and there are those without God, and Jonah wanted nothing to do with those without God. Right? He just ooey gooey dirty people, right? What Paul was addressing was an us versus them mindset that not only the Jews had of his day, but Jonah and the Jewish people had in days gone by. They had forgotten that God's people, the Jewish people, had been chosen for a specific reason or a specific purpose. And that purpose was to be the vehicle through which King Jesus would come and salvation would then be extended to the whole world. This is the meaning of the promise that was given to Abraham all those years ago in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 3 on the screen says this, And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This message of blessing is really cool, because this message of blessing is the gospel. And Paul says so. In his epistle to the Galatians, listen to what Paul says about that very text from Genesis 12. He said, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, who are they? Those without God in the world, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the same way he justified Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith, right? It says that God, justifying the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Stop a second. Guess who preached the gospel to Abraham? God. How many of you are game for that one? Yeah, I'm like, Nathan, whatever. I'll take God talking to me. That'll be even better. God spoke to Abraham, but he didn't speak anything to Abraham. It was the gospel. And here is the gospel, church. This is an amazing truth. All the nations will be blessed in you. That's what God said to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. How can we have faith? Only if the gospel is for all. Again, unless the gospel is for all, none of us can have faith at all. And those who are of faith are those who have received God's word, God's provision for every single person. This us versus them mindset didn't just happen to the Jewish nation or to Jonah. It actually happens to us today. It happens pretty much to every one of us that's in this room. When we forget the reason why we've been shown mercy, do you know why? 
so we might show mercy? (laughs) If we forget why we've been shown mercy, our understanding of even God's salvation becomes misguided. And what it does is it morphs into us and them, a select few. That's who God has come to save. We see this in Jonah's lament when God turns away from judging Nineveh. Instead of seeing this as good news, God's provision for all, (laughs) Jonah actually gets really miffed at God. And he's mad because he thinks God should never have ever saved such a people. He's actually mad, and this is funny, he's actually mad because God's character is what God's character always has been. Listen to what Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. Now this is Nineveh, and God had said, I have declared, God is declaring, he is going to crush Nineveh. And guess what happened in the Bible? God changed his mind. Now, you can talk about that amongst yourselves with God's foreknowledge and all of that if you want to, but God changed his mind, and listen what happened. And he did not do it. So he's planning something, and he didn't do it. But, the next verse, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, maybe you're a pity party person like Jonah. Please listen to what Jonah says here. It's so stupid and funny. (laughs) Okay. Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Because your plan was going to be carried out, I ran away. Because your plan was going to be carried out, I disobeyed. Now that one becomes a little close to home. Because I knew you wanted me to forgive that person, to love that person, I ran away. I blocked him on Facebook and ran the other direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. We still have the same problem today. Listen to me, right? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. What a wimp. What a wimp. Think about what he's saying. He's not just saying death to him is better than his life. He's actually saying he'd rather die than see them live. What in the world? And yet... This is what happens with an us versus them mindset. So Jonah throws himself this little pity party, right? He's kicking and screaming like good adults do, right? But why? Because he thought God should be more just. Number one problem we have. You are not like God. Did you know that? God's ways are higher than our ways, right? And guess what Jonah found out real quick? What that meant was that God is more merciful than Jonah was. And that God's justice was more pure than Jonah's wannabe justice, okay? Justice for Jonah, kill them all. God said, I'll have mercy on them all, and then I'll sort them out later, right? God's response to Jonah was the same as Paul's argument to the Romans in Romans 9. God will save who he wants to save. That just happens to be everyone who will repent and believe. Because God is no respecter of persons, church. He shows no partiality. Here's God's response to poor old Jonah. It's on the screen. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? You know how many times I ask my daughters that question? Are we done now? Are we done? 
Do you have any reason to throw this temper tantrum? The answer is always no. They just never say it, right? They just keep crying, okay? But the answer is no. So God actually looks at Jonah and goes, you done, bud? You done? Because I am God and you're not. Paul declares that truth to Romans, to the Romans. Uh, Jonah declares, or God declares that truth to Jonah. And Paul also declares this same truth, God's provision for all, to young Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of, say it with me, church, all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So all of a sudden we have a delineation of types of people there, right? So that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. How many of you know that, uh, that if we pray for all people, uh, that, and if God is gracious to all people in his compassion, even if they're enemies of ours, it will help us live a quiet, peaceful life? Especially if it's a government. <laughs> okay, so let's keep going. Here's what he says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, say it with me, church, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. As we celebrate Easter, it's important to see God's provision for absolutely every human being that he has ever made. This is the gospel. And to see the gospel this way is to see it as a provision for salvation, a provision for godly living, a provision for everyday needs, and a provision which serves as a proof that God is who he says he is. And that's what we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a start, I want to take you back to Genesis and look at God's first reaction to the sin of his, um, of his image bears, right? His first creation, Adam and Eve, he goes back, and what does he do when they sin and fall short of the glory of God? Crushes them dead. No, that's actually not what he does. Does he have the right to do so? Sure, nobody's arguing that. Instead, what he does is he actually shows mercy to them. He saves them. On top of that, he clothes them and makes real-world provisions for them. So that was actually point number three that I just shared above, that God actually is caring for us. His salvation, his gospel is good news that he takes care of everyday things for you and me. Uh, This is amazing when we look at it in the New Testament. Matthew 6, 8 says, So do not be like the Gentiles, those without God in the world, because you have God, you've believed, these are people who believe, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. So number one, God knows what you have need of, but that doesn't mean he's going to give it to you, does it? No, but Matthew 7, 11 tells us that. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So God knows what you have need of and is willing to give it. If we will ask. This is good news. And it is a part of this grand uh, beauty of the gospel, right? Yet, the provision for salvation is actually so much more. It is the pinnacle of all things God has done. Whether you're a Christian or not, or even a skeptic, you've probably heard Romans chapter 5, verse 8, probably from a preacher. You've heard uh, these words. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. But the whole of God's word communicates an even deeper level of mercy uh, and, therefore, provision. The mercy that God's word communicates is this. Before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before any of us had done anything good or bad, before we were even created, 
Here's what Ephesians tells us. God foreordained the instrument of the salvation of the world. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Say this word with me, church. In Christ. Just as he chose us, say this word with me, church, in him before the foundation of the world. Did you notice that the Bible doesn't say God chose you before the foundation of the world? It doesn't. It says that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. This is speaking of the instrument of our salvation. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption. What's the plan? He will adopt all right? He will adopt us into his covenant kingdom. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us, say it again, in the beloved. Everything Paul reveals here takes place in Christ Jesus. And our call is to believe that truth, right? What are you supposed to do? Have faith. How can you have faith? Only if God has provision for all. Otherwise, you can't know that you're in the select group, right? You will never know. You cannot never, you can never know. And therefore, you can't have faith. Everything Paul reveals is in Christ. And our call is to believe that truth. Even adoption happens through this. This is what I want to call premeditated mercy. This is God. Premeditated mercy. Is God still just, church? He absolutely is. As a matter of fact, he's actually going to He's actually going to blow his justice out of the water here in just a second. He's going to show us how amazing his justice is when we read it in the scripture. God is still just, but what has he chosen to do? He's chosen to show mercy. So now some will ask the question, well, how do we get in Christ? That's a legitimate question. If you're a non-believer or a skeptic here, well, what is all this nonsense about? How do I get in Christ if he truly is the savior of the world? Well, the scripture is clear. You are in Christ by grace through faith. What is faith? The scripture is also clear. Faith is trust and that is all. Faith is the assurance of something hoped for. And you can't have assurance in something you hope for if it's not for you. You just can't do it. So faith is trust. Faith is trust and that's it. And so we believe in him. We call on the name of the Lord. So as this story progresses through Genesis, we actually get back to it, right? We come to Seth, which was Abraham or uh, Adam and Eve's son after Cain and Abel. And at the earliest point of the story, people begin to do what I just said. They begin to call on the name of the Lord. This phrase used repeatedly throughout scripture is how we come to salvation. It's always referring to some way that God rescues or redeems or protects his people. Our hope is found in the one who we call in, call on, and that is Jesus alone. Genesis 4, 26. To Seth also a son was born, and his name was Enosh, and the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth and his descendants wouldn't be calling on the name of the Lord if they weren't assured that God would hear them. But they were assured. They knew God would hear every cry and every prayer they Because God's provision 
is again for all. They walked in the assurance because they actually understood that God had already promised salvation to Adam and Eve, that a seed would come and he would crush the serpent's head. And that salvation transferred to them and they knew it. Again, the first response of God toward his fallen image bearers is what? Premeditated mercy. You should keep that. Premeditated mercy. Adam and Eve's progeny knew that this was the heart of their God. They knew it was the heart of their God. And so what did they do? They called on his name. Now we get to some fun scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through 8. We're going to see the justice of God in one of the most amazing ways, as I see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. These are the words of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Uh, It doesn't stay a mystery. Check this out. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Stop. Wow, this is ridiculous. First of all, God predestined something here. And I already told you that he predestined the instrument of our salvation. How do I know that even more now? Because it's to our glory, not his own. Right? Isn't that amazing? God predestined before the ages the mystery, which is King Jesus, who through him all the nations of the world would be blessed to our glory. Because we're blessed now. Why? Because we have faith. That's it. So let's keep going. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's Paul saying there? (laughs) Yeah, they should have bowed to him. Instead, they killed him. They should have bowed to him. Because why? The instrument of our salvation just showed up. 2,000 years ago, church. The thing we celebrate today, the instrument of our salvation showed up. He hung on that cross. He was buried in a grave. And three days later, he rose because the gospel is good news for all. It's an amazing, amazing truth. So now let's move on to Ephesians 3. That by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery. Paul is talking about how he has come to know this truth. Versus the rulers of his age, which were blind to it. As I wrote before briefly, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Not so much, Paul. You're a bit confusing. But he goes on, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to mankind. Why? Because at just the right time, Christ came and died for men. As it is now... Uh, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles, those without God in the world, are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. See, this is the culmination of that promise. All the world will be blessed through Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, which ultimately is Jesus. The Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. What is the power of God unto salvation again? The gospel. Paul heard the gospel. Paul changed. He also, like Abraham, happened to have God talk it to him. Jerks. Why is it that we can't have that? Anyway, okay. I can go on with story after story uh, that communicates this provision for all. 
over and over. We could talk about Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. How many of you know the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness? Yes. And guess what he did? He preached that righteousness to the world. And guess what they did? They rejected it. That had nothing to do with whether or not they were welcome to it. It it says that they rejected this idea. They didn't believe. All of us understand that concept. The preaching of Jonah, the saving of Nineveh, the provision of God, uh, even from uh, enemies of his own people. God's mercy towards a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Read the story. It's an amazing story in Daniel. Why is God showing mercy to a pagan king? Because God's gospel is for all. We even see the provision made for his own chosen people, Israel. Remember, what it means for Israel to be chosen is that they were chosen for a purpose. They were chosen for a purpose. Israel still needs saved, which means they weren't elect to salvation. That's really important, right? So the prophet Ezekiel shows us that God actually takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Wait a second, Nathan. I thought God hated sin and those who practice iniquity. Yes, that's true. I thought God was just. That's true. God is just. But that does not contradict the gospel or his provision for all. As a matter of fact, it confirms it. Listen, this is is where the, the, the whole thing gets blown up because we start to see the mercy of God. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Do you notice that word, any? <laughs> Do I take any pleasure? Well, just for some, Lord. No, I don't, take the ple- I don't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? There's God's heart. Ezekiel 33, 10 and 11. Now, as for you, son of man, this is his favorite name for Ezekiel, one of the most commonly called son of man in the Bible. Say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us. This is the Jews speaking. And we are rotting away in those sins. How then can we survive? Here's God talking back to them. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God. And by the way, He can't not live, so this word stands forever, right? As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Now listen to the pleading of God. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? You want to know why they will die? They will only die if they refuse to trust in him. They will only die if they refuse to call on the name of the Lord. They will die for their own reasons, their own sins, because they wouldn't trust the God who wanted to show mercy to each one of them. God not only takes no pleasure in the death and destruction of the wicked, he takes no pleasure in the destruction of anyone. He pleads for these people, all of us, to repent, calling everyone everywhere to repent. The choice, though, the choice is up to us. It was given to Cain before he slew his brother Abel. What did God say after the fall, before the Messiah, to Cain? Sin is crouching at your door. Choose life. Sin is crouching at your door. You can make this choice, but he didn't. It was given to Nineveh at the preaching of God's word. And guess what happened? Much to Jonah's surprise, darn it, they repented, right? At least the first time. Then they went all kinds of haywire, right? It was given to the people of Noah's day. They didn't listen. It's given to everyone in the New Testament. Some listen. It's still given to the people today. And again, some listen. Do you know what that is called? That the gospel is preached to all the world or that the call to repentance is given to all people? 
It's called good news. It's called good news. And you know why? Precisely because it's for all people. Precisely for, for, because it's for everyone. The Apostle Peter reminds us of the unchanging truth of God's character in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What was that promise? That all the nation would be blessed. As some understand slowness, uh, God is slow to me sometimes, and he tells me that I'm just impatient. So, okay. God is not slow as some count slowness. Instead, what is God? He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but, read it with me, church, everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. Church, this is the gospel. Unless the gospel is for all, none of us can have faith at all. So the justice of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I love that. So what's required to not be put to shame? Believe. Trust. It's faith. It's pistuo, right? This is the point. This is what we're doing. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why does God say that there? Because God is not partial in who he saves. Anyone who calls on his name, he will save. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some will say, well, then how can they call on him? Well, Paul anticipated that question for you. It's amazing. In the very next verse. He said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So who are we talking about here? Right, right here. Unbelievers, right? Okay. How then will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Who are we talking about here? Ignorant people. They have never even heard of him. And how will they hear unless they, uh, without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? What's God's remedy? Don't worry about it. I will save who I want to save, and I will condemn who I want to get condemn. He doesn't say that. What he says is, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, I never thought I had beautiful feet. <laughs> but today, I think I have. Anyway, okay, so this is just a dumb sidetrack. But anyway, here's the point, though, church. Here's the point. The gospel is delivered through the commission and the mandate that we've all been given, isn't it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You want to know why some people don't hear the gospel from you? Because you don't talk. Does that mean God didn't choose them? No, 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 no. <laughs> that means God is tired of you, Jonah. God's tired of you, Jonah. And guess what he does to Jonah even then? Shows mercy to this guy. Oh, she just killed him, <laughs> right? That's why I'm not God. But anyway, so he shows mercy to him. But guess what, church? We're to go and preach the gospel. Paul would go on to say that not all heed the good news, but that's something that we all get. And yet the gospel is still for all. So the justice of God, Romans 3, 21 and 26, 21 through 26. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you can raise your hands honestly, boldly, and say it's true? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many will also say I'm part of the all? Everybody else needs to raise your deck on hands right now, right? <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's what's amazing about language. You have to follow. <laughs> Ethan's yawning. Okay. You have to follow 
how language works. You have to follow an antecedent. So what happens is when people say, this is, most of us go, what's this? What's this, right? What's the antecedent? We're, we need to know what that belongs to. Well, check out what God says. God says there's no distinction among people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what 24 starts off knowing or implying? All. All being justified by a gift, by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. If you claim that all have sinned, you must claim that all have been redeemed through Christ Jesus. But they must put their trust in him. Jesus' work is sufficient for all. Being justified, all being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Jesus died for us in our place. This was, Jesus' death, uh, to demonstrate his righteousness because in God's, say it with me church, merciful restraint... He let the sins previously committed go unpunished. That's very unjust of you, Lord. No, watch. For the demonstration that is of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be, shout it out. What? Wait, 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 wait a second. Jesus showing merciful restraint is somehow his justice? Yes, because it all landed on your Savior. Every sin we have landed on our king. And God is just because he gave it to the one who can bear it. And he offered mercy to us. A mercy of restraint that overlooks our sins. God is merciful. And his provision for all is why this is the gospel. This is why the Bible says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we become righteous through faith. We trust in King Jesus. Unless the gospel is for all church, we can't have faith at all. So I want to share one last story with you. And this is where we'll go a little bit more candid in the message. It's a story that I think will forever captivate your mind if you truly have embraced the mercy of God. It's the story of a woman caught in adultery in John Chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, these words are not on the screen, and I don't want you to look them up. Just take a second and listen to the story. But I want you to write it down so that after church you can check me, okay? Early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who, has, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, rode on the ground. When they heard, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, because they knew. <laughs> and he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court, 
in this place of utter shame, straightened up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Here's why this story astounds me, and it astounds me on so many levels. First, we have God incarnate. How many of you know that? Jesus is God incarnate. John chapter 14, verse 9 records Jesus talking to his apostle Philip, and he says this. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So what we're looking at here in this story is we're seeing God literally. If you want to know what God would do in a story, this is literally what God would do in a story because it's literally what God did in the story, right? Second, God was the one who told Moses what to write concerning adultery and its punishment, right? Moses didn't make this stuff up. God told him what to do. So third, Jesus was without sin and could have thrown any stone that he wanted to, couldn't he have? In judgment, Jesus could have thrown any stone he wanted to. But what do we see instead? Everything I've talked about up to this point, premeditated mercy, the patience of God, the good news, which was for all people. He could have said this. I love this. Jesus could have said, give me the stones, boys. I'll take care of it. I have no sin. I'm the one who commanded it. He could have done that. He didn't. He also could have said, well, sorry about your luck, but you're all sinners, so I'll take all the rocks and kill all you all. That's what I would have done. (laughs) Seems like a great idea. I don't know. Instead, he shows mercy. He doesn't condemn the woman. He upholds his just nature. He tells her to repent and go and sin no more. He shows mercy to the guys with rocks. He didn't kill them. He let them go. Why? Because he knew that he was still going to the cross for them. This is just one expression of God's character. And one example of what he desires for all people everywhere. So the skeptic or the unbeliever, here's what I want you to know. This provision has been made for you. The gospel is good news for you because it is good news for all. And here's what I want you to know. You may struggle with the craziness of some of these stories. You may doubt, you may say, this just seems like fairy tales or mythology. But I'll sit and talk to you any day about the truth of this story. Because here's what I want you to know. You are just like me. You have sinned. And you fall short of the glory of God every single day. But guess what? There is a way out. There is a mercy that is given to you and it is given to me. And I can say that with a thousand percent confidence because that is the only way I can have faith. It must be for all or it is not. uh, We cannot have faith at all. So the skeptic or the unbeliever, this provision was made for you. For the Christian, I already said it. Don't be Jonah. Don't be Jonah. The gospel is a provision for all and you have been given a command. How many of you would raise your hand and be honest with me and everybody else who's looking right now and say, I struggle with preaching the gospel. I struggle with preaching the gospel. One reason why that happens is probably because we don't know it well enough, right? 
we're like, I don't know, it seems confusing. God's told us all kinds of things about the gospel. But what is the gospel? Well, Paul tells us what the gospel is in two really direct uh, forms of communication. Galatians, all men will be blessed through the seed of Abraham, and that it includes the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. Right? We need to get better at preaching the gospel because we need to understand God wants that no one would perish, but that all come to everlasting life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It won't be on the screen, but here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation to others, right? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. To the Christian, don't doubt, don't doubt, have faith knowing this, the gospel is provision for you. God's not playing a game with you. He's not going to yank it out from under you. Your lottery numbers will come up winners, I promise you, right? Because he gave them to all, if you will trust him, okay? Second thing, don't be Jonah, get out, preach the gospel. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So you'll probably see family today, and that family's going to go, did you go to church and listen to your fairy tales? Fine. Just laugh with them, and then talk to them about how deeply you believe that fairy tale, how much you know that that fairy tale is actually true, and keep pushing, right? Don't spend your whole day looking for bunny eggs. Do it, but don't spend the whole day doing it, right? Okay? Give yourself time to proclaim this beautiful truth. The gospel church is good news. It's good news for salvation. It's good news for daily provision. It's good news for every aspect of our life. But what is really amazing is it is good news for absolutely every human being that is out there. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 16. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. The death, the burial, and the resurrection is the last provision of the gospel. It's a provision of proof for the skeptic in the world. Why? Because there's historical proof, eyewitness testimony, in the Bible and outside of the Bible, that confirm Jesus rose from the dead. This is an amazing, amazing truth, guys. So as we wrap up and as we prepare to take communion, Jacob is going to lead us in that. But I want to end with these words from C.S. Lewis. Because what I want you to know is that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing ever, okay? I want you to, be- I want you to know this. It is so, so vital. You must see him as king. You must see him as resurrected Lord. You must see him as savior of the world. Otherwise, you're probably wasting your time. Okay, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. I'm trying here to prevent, if my iPad will do its job, 
I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who, has merely, who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus would, uh, said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who claimed he was a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is Lord and Savior, proofed by his resurrection and by his gospel for all people. Or he's no one. But he is what he claimed to be, and he is that for you. And I can say that with confidence with, to every single person in this room. He is king for you. He is Lord for you. He loves you. He died for you. His blood was sufficient for you. All you need to do is trust in him. That's it. Guys, Easter is an amazing season, but I can tell you right now, if you don't have faith It's not an amazing season. It's just another religious holiday. It's just another thing that we're confused about, another thing where we pass eggs and do all kinds of weird stuff, right? But when we believe the truth of the gospel for what it is, when we understand it truly as God has told us it is, we get to walk out of here knowing, I really am saved, church. (laughs) I really am redeemed. I really am free, I really do have life. This is not my faith. This is not my faith. God's word is my faith. And he has said it is finished. 